Hey everyone, this is Josh, and welcome back to Life on Side B. Normally, our episodes release every two weeks, but since we're all stuck at home, I thought, hey, for a little bit, why don't we go to every week? So today, Dr. Julie Sadeski's back. She has returned, and her and I are going to be talking about depression and anxiety. You know, many of us deal with depression and anxiety on a normal basis, so... What do we do when now we have a pandemic on top of our regular depression and anxiety? How do we deal with that? So we're going to talk about this as well as community and can't wait for you guys to hear. Also, one quick note before we start. Remember, if you love this podcast, support us by becoming a patron. You'll get extra content monthly. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash lifeonsite. It helps us to improve and sustain the work that we're doing here. So we really appreciate all of you guys who are patrons. So with that, let's head into the episode. Let's roll with it. That's how life has been for several weeks now is let's just put one foot in front of the other and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are on another surprise episode that I was not expecting to do this season. (laughs) And I am joined again by Dr. Julia Sadeski. Julia, thanks so much for joining. Absolutely. Glad to be back. Yeah. You know, we got a lot of great feedback about your episode that you did with Mary. I was so happy with the conversations you guys had and were able to discuss some things that are really real in a lot of people's lives. I actually have a few people that have said that that's now one of their favorite episodes of the both seasons. (laughs) Well, I'm glad it was so helpful. It was a joy. Yeah. And kind of to piggyback on that conversation, I'm hoping that we can just have some conversations about dealing, you know, with everything that's happening right now. You have a lot of people, and I'll even talk from a personal standpoint, like I struggle with depression. I struggle with anxiety and in a normal (laughs) situation. Right. And, And so then to have everything kind of toppled on top of it. And then on top of that, so much, so many people's community is cut smaller and then on top of that you're in close quarters with people that you're living with that maybe you're spending more time with them than you normally would <laughs> at least Absolutely. in my situation so wanted to be able to talk with you on all of that first of all i'd love to hear how are you doing through all of this <laughs> well um you know these are challenging times i mean as a therapist, I mean, I'm still working. Um, I, so I work in, in Denver, Colorado in a partial hospitalization unit for eating disorders right now. And um, mm-hmm. we're kind of seen in much of the same way as much of the medical community right now where we have people with pretty severe mental illness um, who need daily support. So I'm, I've been going into work. I've been um, doing some things virtually from home when I can and and just trying to do the best we can to care for our patients and also care for ourselves. So I I was sick a few weeks ago and and that was Mm -hmm. definitely helping me feel some solidarity in a small way, you know, with a lot of the suffering right now with physical pain and, and just fear around the coronavirus. But yeah, just 
one foot in front of the other, you know, trying to take it one day at a time and um, not, not get too caught up in the, the unknowns because there's no shortage of them right now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things about this is, is just that, like you said, the unknown, Hmm. um, even if for people who don't get sick, so many plans are changed of what's to come, what was planned to come this year, what, what people were hoping to do this year. And, you know, for instance, like me, a lot of my work depends on traveling uh, Mm. around the country internationally, and that's all stopped. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Uh, So I've gone from doing two trips a week, um, flying internationally to I'm been in my house for two weeks. Right. and yeah, I, I guess starting off, I'd love to get your thoughts on just kind of what I said, you know, when, when you have people and honestly, I'm taking myself an example in this, I deal with depression a lot. I am on medication to help with my depression um, because Great. of my history of that. And I have learned to get into a cycle of what things help me. Mm. Uh, for instance, working out every day, having a certain amount of time with people, um, putting that routine of what I do keeping that routine that I've learned helps me with my depression. And then the hard part is this time, this comes up and so many aspects of that routine are gone. Right. And, and so, yeah, I I know for me, that's been a hard part. I know that for a lot of other people, that's been a hard part. Yes. Well, I, I mean, you're speaking to something so important here, which is that we thrive in a sense of routine, right? We thrive with order, with predictability, with consistency. Mm-hmm. And in a matter of, of weeks, a, a lot of people's go-to routine to not just help us thrive in life, but but especially when we're talking about uh, the presence of depression or anxiety, you know, we, we lean into that. And through trial and error, you've come to figure out, oh, this works for me. This doesn't. And in times like this, I think we're um, faced with a real challenge of not going into that black and white thinking which is simpler, which is actually safer in a time of crisis where we've, we've got to make it all or nothing, black and white, like, yeah. okay, I had everything and now I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how do I start back from square one in a place when sources of energy, sources of support are not readily accessible? It's so easy uh, for that depression to get really loud there and say, hey, you know, you can't do anything. You're helpless. It's hopeless. Uh, there's nowhere to turn. Um, and, and we want to just really pay attention to that because it can get the upper hand super quickly, push us around super quickly um, and lead us to a place where we feel like, okay, because I can't do X, Y, and Z, I can't do anything. Um, because mm-hmm. my routine as it was, is not there. I can't take any steps to do any of these things um, and can really flail in, in moments when this human resilience that we, we can tap into is so essential. Um, so I think we're, we're practicing that muscle a little bit more now and we're realizing it's not as strong as we might have thought. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> yeah, I, I know for me, it's been a whole thing of like having to figure out what parts of my routine can I modify. So for right. instance, working out, um, I can't go to the gym. I yep. figure out some kind of workout work workouts I can do from home. 
Um, while I might not be able to go out and do my routine as normal, even if I'm being in my house, still having a routine, even within my house. Um, like one of my roommates who I'm with right now, I really love one of the things she, she's recommended that I do. And she does is like, even on work days, even though I'm at my house, changing into a semblance of clothes that I would wear when I would go out for work. (laughs) And then, you know, around five o'clock when I would probably be home, switching into more home clothes, even if I'm just around my house. And so some of those things that I've had to do to try and create an order, a routine to help with my mental health. Um, but something also that I've seen with me and some of my friends that I, I would love to get your thoughts on is I, I know for me with depression, I have those moments. And again, even with this, this whole thing, I have moments where I just have to let myself feel the feelings. Yes. <laughs> I have to let myself just go and be like, leave me alone. I'm going to go in my room. I'm going to be very sad. I'm just going to sit there and do nothing. And right. then there also comes those points where I'm like, but I have to do something now. Like, okay, I've, yeah. I've, I, I've been in my bed for two days now. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to, I need to go and do something. And, and also I think not only for just for me, but for other friends and trying to go when we're looking at our own health and, and also the help of the health of our friends um, going through depression, going through anxiety, where, where do we find that good balance of allowing ourselves to feel those emotions and either pushing and then later on, either pushing oursel- ourselves or our friends going through stuff of mm-hmm. going, okay, well, now's the time. We have to push through this. We have to do yeah. something, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I mean, I mean, it's exactly that balance. I mean, that word came to mind as you were sharing that we seek, that we long for, that we can make it through in. Um and and even as I shared a few minutes ago, you know, we want to be able to find routine. We also want to acknowledge that things are not routine right now, you know, and, and there's mm-hmm. as much routine as we can create. There's going to be moments where we get confronted with the pain of mm-hmm. not purely what we're going through, but some of the emotions, some of the memories, some of the hard stuff that filled schedules keep us from. Right. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to run from that into something else always. And that's what you're speaking to when you say, you know, I just got to go put myself in my room and let this wash over me. And and the word that comes to mind for me actually is grief. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we we think of grief as as death. We think of grief as a response to loss and and it is. I mean, and, and many people, I think, can relate to that being part of what we're feeling right now. Um, mm-hmm. It's very rare that we get in touch with global loss in the way that we are right now, where we feel this mm-hmm. quality of solidarity with the rest of the world in a way that's quite beautiful and quite painful. Um, certain parts of our country are just being plummeted right now in, in mm-hmm. such painful ways. And um so people wonder, why do I feel nauseous? Why do I feel so sad? Why am I tearing up? Why, why do I feel so overwhelmed? Um, I think that's grief. And you're speaking to the moments where that grief kind of pushes through and says, hey, pay attention to me. I think when we let it slide and we push it down and we push it away, I think that's when the depression really peaks. That's when we, we find ourselves in our room for days, right? Because it's like, that voice needs to be heard. <laughs> yeah. And it it slows us down. 
so I usually invite uh, people and, and try for myself to kind of create pockets of time to feel, um, you know, for some people that's first thing in the morning, kind of journaling through what, what's on your heart. And for others, it's the end of the day. Um, and, and for others, it's time in between when things start to rear their head, but to literally pause to intentionally, you know, maybe it's set a timer for 15 minutes and just feel what's mm -hmm. coming up. The more we make that a discipline, the more those emotions will let themselves be heard. I think some people say, well, I, I tried that and nothing came up. I felt so numb. You know, numbness is, is a protective uh, skill that we use when we feel a lot. <laughs> and yeah. so the more we schedule and pause and create space in our day to, to feel the depths of what's coming up and in what has been a really challenging time for many people, um, whether we're close close to them or not, I, I, I think that serves us really well, uh, where our body doesn't end up having to vote as much and say, hey, I'm going to bring you to a place where you have to attend to this. Yeah. Oh, no, that's really good. I like, I like that point of even making a set time of being yeah. like, hey, I'm going to... and. I think that's something good for me is, is that when I get into trouble is when I, I go into my room and I don't have that set amount of time because then it can just go right. on forever. And obviously sometimes right. you don't know how long it'll take, but, um, of just how much time you have to go through it. But yeah, what you were, as you were talking, you reminded me of even Ashley, one of the other co-hosts in last week's episode, um, was mentioning how she she's not an anxious person, but sometimes in her body, she'll feel it. Totally. Just like feeling it in her body. Like, no, you're dealing, you're dealing with this of all of this. Cause everyone, as you said, this is a global situation. It's one of those very few times. I think so many times in the world we get used to like awful things happening in one part of the world or another or another, like, Oh, I'm in Florida. There's a hurricane that happens, or this happens over in Europe, or this happens over in California or whatever might happen. But then it's so crazy in this moment, everyone's feeling it. Everyone right. in the world. We're all on the same page in this. Um, and you know, some areas are impacted more than others, but in a sense, the whole world is going through this together. And so it's like everyone's almost trying to take care of themselves through this. <laughs> and at the exactly. same time, trying to take care of the people around them. <laughs> Exactly. And, and we're so confronted with, with media that allows us for good or for ill to have access to information that we can't even take in and digest in a way that makes sense to us. I mean, mm. there's something about, oh, that's happening in Florida. Oh, that's happening in Italy. Oh, that, that lets our brain contain it, right? Compartmentalize yeah. it. We can put it in a box. When it's global, and when a word like pandemic is floating around, right, we're sitting here trying to wrap our minds around something that um, even if it were happening just in Florida for the people in Florida would be hard to contain, you know? And so, yeah. so the mind goes to work then. How do I make this hang together? How do I keep going in the midst of this? And depression, right, often says you can't, you won't be able mm -hmm. to. There's something wrong with you that makes it so you can't do this. I just want to say... None of us can do this. None of us can make sense of something so vast, so nonsensical, so not easily contained in a box. And I mean, I think that's the type of radical acceptance that we benefit from is both accepting the solidarity and the beauty that comes from suffering as a, as a world um, 
and also recognizing that it's a setup a little bit if we think that we're going to kind of figure it out and contain it in a way that um, feels tolerable right now. I mean, there's there's nothing about this that we want to <laughs> get used to, right? Yeah. Um, and so the discomfort we feel uh, in our bodies and our uh, souls and our emotional life is is worth listening to, worth slowing down around and, and really giving credit where credit is due because this is real stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of reminds me even with faith about how like so many times I think we we go to the Bible thinking that the Bible is going to have the answer to a situation like this. And not that the Bible doesn't have mm. answers, but it's just going to give a very sure. clear answer of saying, oh, this is why this is happening. And this is why suffering occurs. And I was even, you know, just um, I'm I'm an Old Testament geek, love love me some hebrew and some hebrew bible and and rabbi teachings and great one of the things that i love is how literally in the old testament you have these three books that deal with are trying to figure out why suffering happens in the world you have proverbs ecclesiastes and job and they all sit yeah. next to each other and they all have very different answers and i don't think that these books were meant to necessarily give us a cookie cutter answer to why this happens but that these three books sit next to each other in our Bibles because they're each giving a different edge of the diamond of mm. human experience through this. Of I love how one scholar put it. It's like these three people that sit down for lunch together. You have Proverbs, which is like the um, college academic that just graduated and feels like they have all of the understanding of everything. You have Ecclesiastes, who is the one um, who thought that they had everything figured out and now they're realizing there are hiccups in the system. And then you have Job, who's the one who's been there and back <laughs> through everything. Mm. And it's just like that old wise man of going, yeah, I've been there and I've come on the other side of it. And, and I think that one thing I've learned from that is allowing is kind of being in that place of, we don't have to have the answers. We don't have to have the answers. Mm -hmm. We don't have to expect that faith is going to have this easy cookie cutter answer um right. be because i think it's when we think that we're supposed to have the answers to why this happens or to what's going to happen all this stuff and yet then we don't get the answer that we think we're supposed to have is where it right. becomes almost unbearable absolutely yeah and, and and i think we see in job i mean i'm no biblical scholar but i but i think we see there that he you know, experiences what many of us do when people try to make it all better, try to give the answer. This is why this happened. This is why you're suffering. Um, and that doesn't do it. <laughs> Even if that were true, it doesn't do it. Um, because the reality that you're speaking to, right, is is the reality of pain and suffering in a fallen world. And we can rationalize it all day. It won't take the pain away. Um, if, if anything, it can make it worse. And and I think where we get in trouble is is trying to give trite answers, certainly, but also um, having this illusion that there's again something wrong with us if we if we don't have that thing figured out. Our yeah. faith is not strong enough. You know, it's something we did wrong that leads us to this place, which is certainly not the case. I mean, I, th I think there's both that radical acceptance of suffering that we get invited into here, and then also the solidarity, the feeling of, hey, we're not alone. And if somebody in my midst is suffering, their suffering is my suffering. And I think that's the call within this as well. Yeah. Absolutely. 
a lot of this entire time for me has been reflecting on even my own kind of processing of this entire experience and then processing, you know, everyone else, you know, the people around me there in the middle of all this pandemic, I ended up moving and mm. <laughs> which is just a lovely time to move. You know? Throw that in there. <laughs> Throw that in there. And um, in the middle of moving, this happened last week. It turned out like it looked like I wasn't going to get into the new place that I was supposed mm. to move in. And I remember in that moment, I was in my car feeling homeless and just started mm. crying. <laughs> I was driving yeah. and I was like, my, like, I, I was just sitting there going, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And kind of driving a little bit to figure as I figured out what to do. And I think for me in that moment, I, I felt very defeated by my feelings by like, mm. I should be able to deal with this. Um, right. And it was really funny because then I, in that, like during that time, I had a friend who wrote me something that was really powerful and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but just a matter of like, um, courage is not, um, was it courage? I can't remember, but I'm going to put courage is not, um, the ability, the ability to deal with things without emotions, but they able to take steps in the midst of fear and anxiety. Yeah. So it's like this idea of going, yes, I have fear. Yes, I have anxiety. And I'm going to feel those and I'm going to acknowledge that those are real in my life. And in the midst of those, I'm going to take step forward. In the midst of those, I'm going to figure out what is my next step. Um, referencing the movie Frozen, which Frozen Two, which I love, I I love this the the song uh, the next right thing that Anna does after mm. after Elsa dies. Yes, I'm a, I'm a Disney nerd, so this is weird. I love it. <laughs> um, I love in that moment, in the moment where she thinks her sisters died. The whole entire song is just about, I have to do the next right thing. I can't focus so far yeah. in the future, but just going in this moment of fear, in this moment of sadness, I'm just going to say, what is the next thing I can do? And I'm going to do that. And then the next thing after yeah. that, and I'm going to do that. Like in this moment, I can't, I can't focus on six months from now. I can't focus on a year from now because I don't know what, I, we don't know how long this will go. And obviously it's not going to take six months. God, I pray not. But um <laughs> But it, we're going to feel it longer than the actual pandemic lasts. And, and kind of going in the midst of this, in the midst of anxiety, I can only just go one more step and then another step after that. Right. Yes. And, and that's the level of effectiveness, right? That gives us a sense of empowerment in moments of powerlessness, right? Like in that moment of the, oh crap what's the next step? I don't even know what to do with all this. There's so many unknowns. Yeah. We pause and we say, okay, <laughs> how do I become effective in the circumstances I'm in? Which means being effective with handling and holding and make space for those emotions, not pushing them away, right? Mm -hmm. The illusion is if I could just control them, if I could just ignore them, if I could suppress them, then I would have mastery over yeah. the moment. But that's not human. <laughs> I mean, the mastery of the moment is saying, I get hit with a wave of grief. I get hit with a wave of fear and anxiety, and I stay in it, and it doesn't kill me. 
and I can keep going and the clouds start to move away and I can see enough in front of me to put one foot in front of the other. That's what we go for. I mean, I remember in my own um, experiences of grief and loss, uh, saying to a friend in, in a kind of half prayer, you know, I need, I need to see where I'm going. I can't see where I'm going. And, and she said, you know, God's going to give you just enough light to see one foot in front of you. And I, I just honestly mm. looked at her and I said, I need more light. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and that's, that's, that's Job's prayer too. That's all throughout the Psalms of Lament in the Psalms is God, give us more, give us more light. And in that prayer, putting a foot in front of the other and realizing that we actually don't need to need any more than what he gives us, of mm. course. Um, ultimately we need him and those prayers of encounter, those prayers of honesty open us up to him in a way that we need more than we need just about anything, um, in this life. And so, yeah, I, I think you're speaking to the, the, you know, aspects of our virtue of character that we get to build in times like this. I mean, some of the most beautiful saints of all history emerge out of, out of moments of hardship and, and I think um, not the worst hardship in, in world history, but certainly one that can hold its own is what we're going through right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving a little bit into more of a community side. And, you know, I think that from my experience with people been, I've been talking to is you have two different kind of groups of people. Obviously, there's probably more complexity to that. But um, and what I mean is, you have some people who are struggling through this because they live alone. So like all of their community, when you live alone and you're told to stay indoors and not go see other people, pretty much all of your community just gets cut off. Um, and we talked a little bit about that last week, about the importance of still finding ways of community in the midst of this, and whether that's through Zoom, whatever, um, sure. like finding the ways of being able to, within the orders of shelter in place, being able to still have community. Um, another side of it is then you have people, like I was saying, who are now in close quarters with people that they live with, but now they're spending more time with them, whether family or roommates or whoever that is. And then when you already have everyone with heightened anxiety, heightened feeling, heightened emotions, stuck in the house all the time. I was reading that in China, they've seen the divorce rate skyrocket since all of this happened. Mm. And that for in the United States, uh, there was an article I was reading that said a, a huge jump in contacting of divorce, divorce lawyers has happened. And mm. that's just a sign with marriage. And, I, and, and so it's like, how, what recommendations or ideas would you have for those of us who are now in close quarters with our loved ones, whether roommates or friend or family, already dealing with this heightened emotions, already dealing with the depressions, and trying not to take that out on other people in our lives? Right. Yes. <laughs> well, well, I mean, we're, the biggest thing, right, um, uh, that comes to mind for me is is the reality of the importance of compassion, self-compassion and compassion for other people. And then tied to that, um, an acceptance of responsibility for our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own actions in this time, because you hit the nail on the head. You are putting into confined close spaces for some people, you know, 
other people who are anxious, who are scared, who are upset, who are um, angry, you know, mm -hmm. and, and feeling trapped. And, and you're saying, all right, live in community and don't kill each other in the process. And gosh, I mean, it's not a recipe for success yeah. uh, in, a, in a fallen world. And so the, the compassion piece is real. And what that is, is it's saying, gosh, of course, this is hard, right? Mm -hmm. And in particular moments when I'm, you know, in the kitchen bumping into the person next to me and we're tripping over each other and it, uh, they, they say something nasty or rude, um, <laughs> you know, number one, it's wow, like that thing is the tip of their iceberg. That comment is the tip of what's beneath the surface, which is probably a lot of hardship right now mm -hmm. and how do i extend in my mind like not how dare they be so mean to me <laughs> <laughs> yes. not how dare this coronavirus exists that i mean i mean i think those are some of our thoughts and then it's gosh things must be really hard for them right now things are also hard for me um what can i do to take responsibility for how i'm feeling and not not lash out in this moment right mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and another piece of that then, the responsibility piece, is what am I doing on a daily basis to make myself more able to stand and be in community with the people I do love? Um, like, what, what am I going for here? What am I trying to do? If I want to be more patient, I might need to take more time for myself, or I might need to schedule in things that give me a little bit of joy and not expect this mm. other person to just make my life amazing right now. Yeah. Because people really don't exist for that purpose. I mean, if they did, like, we would never sin, gosh. Mm. Um, but but people, people aren't there to, to attend to and make all of our needs for intimacy, community evaporate. Like, People are there to sanctify us, to help us become uh, more, more Christ-like. And gosh, in a time like this, I think what's hard is we're being uh, challenged and we're realizing, wow, I got work to do. God has work to do on my heart and, and uh, my relationships because I'm not <laughs> um, pure and of heart in the ways I'd like to be, or I'm not charitable in the ways that I'm called to be. And, and taking that to prayer, taking that to community, you know, if conflicts are coming up, addressing them, naming that this is kind of unprecedented. So what are we needing to do? What are we needing to tweak? I mean, things that worked two months ago might not work now. And things that did work, we might not be doing. So, so let's come together, not isolate. Let's lean in and say, hey, can we talk about what we're going to do to make this more sustainable? Um, I think, you, you know, you bring up divorce and if humans have a backdoor exit, we often take it. Mm. And that's not because that's what's best for us always. It's sometimes because we're not sure we can keep doing it. Um, and two heads are better than one in that if something's not working, we can either come together and say, hey, let's put the problem in front us of us and, and take ownership over our part of it. Um, but let's not put the problem on this person standing next to me because let's be honest, you know, it's their very breathing sometimes mm -hmm. that bothers us. Um, and so, yeah, that, that compassion, that, that self-compassion, compassion to others, um, and certainly taking responsibility for our part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I was, um, talking with my roommates who I'm with right now and, um, when we when we first got into this place, one of the first things we said to each other was, "Let's make a point to 
over communicate <laughs> if we need to. And I yes. love what one of them said was like, over communication is never over communicating because you can never communicate <laughs> enough. And we were like, we're going to be stuck in this house at least a month. Who knows more? Um, so we need to survive this. Our friendship needs to survive this. <laughs> <laughs> we want to be friends on the other side. Um, so let's, the moment we have thoughts about each other, because it's true, like you said, that um, when someone, like when I'm in the kitchen, someone else does something else, they bump into me. Our emotions many times are not even really directed at each other. There's so many things underneath right. it. There's so many things going mm -hmm. on. And the way it's kind of like the way I deal with road rage is kind of going, okay, this person's acting this way. It's probably really not directed at me as much as I, it seems like it is. Um, right. This as yeah, they're honking at you. But it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about me as much as I'm now pissed right. at them. <laughs> it's not about me. Right. It's about whatever else is going on with them. Um, and the same when I have road, ra road rage, but uh, it, many times it's not about the person I'm getting mad at. And so, yeah, there's so much of that kind of, and I like what you said about many times with we, we as humans, if we have a backdoor option, we will take it, you know? And right. I have never had a community, whether family or friends or whatever, that I haven't had a moment of going, screw this, I'm leaving. Yes. Um, right. I haven't actually left <laughs> ever under those circumstances, but um, there's always this feeling. I don't think any community ever get, never like doesn't ever get to a point of going, can we really do this? You know? Right. And it's a matter of when those moments come thinking through it and being able to communicate and talk and just seeing what is what is underneath my emotions that I'm feeling? What is underneath the emotions the other person's feeling? Because many times it's a lot more complex than I am ticked off because you ran into me in the kitchen or because you didn't clean a plate. Absolutely. And real, right, real intimacy then flows from those conversations where we say, you know what, I don't know what's going on for me, but I got to be honest, even just you standing next to me, I find myself pissed off. And, <laughs> and I know that's fine. That's not you, but but I just want you to know that, and 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 that opens the door to a real conversation where you notice, right? In that comment, I take ownership. I mm -hmm. say I find myself wrestling with, struggling in this way right now, and it's not you, and and it pulls for the other person to say, oh my gosh, like what else do you think is going on? Yeah. <laughs> and if we don't have that moment, if we stay in our um, kind of perspective, self pitying, yeah. <laughs> um, and a navel gazing, we can isolate and one person walks out of the kitchen saying, gosh, like, what did I do wrong? And the other person walks out of the kitchen saying, oh, gosh, like, I'm so pissed at them. They're what's wrong with the world right now. Mm -hmm. um, neither of which draws us in. And I think a good question to be asking ourselves right now as, as communities, as families, and as individuals is a year from now, 10 years from now, when I look back on this time, how do I want to have grown? You know, how do I want to be more of the person God's calling me to be? How do, how do I want our family, our community to be more Christ-like, more of the body of Christ? What, what needs to be done? What doesn't need to be done? Um, that's going to make that possible. Um, what's the teachable moment? What's 
what's the call within this for us? And I think the more we ask that, the more the frivolous fades away. Um, and we see this as an opportunity to be creative. And, and that's some of what you're sharing, even with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point. Um, it's like what I told one of my friends is that with all of the craziness of this time, with all of the anxiety and depression and everything, we have this opportunity for many of us who are either are not working now or um, are not working as much or whatever. I, I don't want to just look back on this time as a time of fear and depression. Mm. I want to see right. it as an opportunity for community, as an opportunity for in, mm. intentional community. I want to look back on it in a time of spending more time in, in the word as a more time with Christ and being able to look back and say, wow, in the midst of all of that fear, in the midst of all of that, those emotions, there was beauty in those moments. You know, my my grandmother who lived through the Great Depression used to always tell me stories about some of the amazing things they did in the middle of the Great Depression when they had nothing. They They mm. didn't have anything. And so they spent time together and lives weren't busy. It was them together as a family, together as community, because at that moment, all they had was each other. That was it. It's, they didn't really have much else. So they valued that little bit of what they had. And I think back to those stories that she shared with me kind of going, I hope I can look at that time now. And I think that's something a lot of us can go is saying, yes, there's depression. Yes, there's anxiety. And yes, there's fear of the future. And, and for many people, there's job loss. and um and fear of what am I going to do with the next rent? And none, all of those are valid and, and going through those and yet going in the middle of that, how can I take the little bit of advantage looking, looking at the very small blessings of community or whatever that might be in our lives um, of taking that next step going forward. Right. Right. Yeah. We don't tend to admire looking back complainers, right? I mean, <laughs> all throughout history, we don't look back and read the um, biographies of, of people who sat around and said, this is shitty, right? <laughs> I mean, that's not, that's not like where we go. Um, we admire the, the creativity, the resilience, the strength in the midst of the most unfathomable circumstances, the things we would not choose for our worst enemy. I mean, we admire um, when people use that as a space to grow, to to exercise the will in a way that, gosh, is primed and purified in these moments. Um, and I, I think we have a lot to learn from people who have been in hardship, in suffering, uh, in the sense that this is something we didn't choose, we wouldn't choose. That's what makes Christ's sacrifice and death so powerful yeah. is he did choose it. In our human weakness, we struggle to, um, but he gives us these moments of opportunity. Um, and, and it doesn't mean we don't grieve. It doesn't mean we don't weep. It, it doesn't mean we don't hurt at the loss, the loss of weddings, the loss of plans, the loss of um, opportunities, um, financial stability, right? Yeah. All these things are real. And part of being human is getting to be creative and uh, imaginative and draw near. Uh, I, I think of it almost as a, a real stripping away. And it doesn't mean uh, it's comfortable. It doesn't mean we sign up for it. But what it does mean is that when, gosh, when things get stripped away, we 
we are with what matters um, and with who matters. And, and especially for those living alone right now, I mean, solitude is hard for humans. And it's also some of the moments that I look back on in my own life and say, if I wasn't alone in that moment, I wouldn't have had that gift of an encounter with God. The the beauty of his presence uh, can really tear through some of the most isolating moments of our life. So I, I think opening up to that, opening up to the people in our lives and and letting them be enough will serve us really well as we step back into life. My worst fear is that we'll get through this pandemic and we'll go back to business as usual and the way things used to be. Yeah. I kind of want to say we weren't we weren't doing so hot as a, as a culture in a lot of ways and 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 maybe part of the soul of America is, is being shown in in some of the challenges um, and the ways we respond to them. So my hope is that things will be different. Um, our hearts will be different and we, and we can feel pretty proud of that. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. That's been a fear of mine as well Is like, I hope we can at least come out on the other side of this different. Like you said, mm. in, in many ways, I feel like this pandemic, just like you said, I feel like this pandemic is almost like the wave going back, um, you know, the wave on the beach going back to reveal some of the issues in our culture of of many different things about what we hold so dear and and what we don't hold is as important, which we should, um, and some different things like that. And hoping that we don't just get through it and then go on the other side and, you know, we're back to normal, but that we can see it and that it changes and that we can, we can be better for it on the other side. Absolutely. We start to realize how much we put our happiness and sense of peace in things that can't provide that and literally can't because they're finite, because they have the capacity to be taken away in a day, in a month. I mean, the fragility of the little pleasures that we put our security in um, is really telling. And, and it's no wonder we weren't happy three months ago. I mean, <laughs> the illusion is, gosh, everything was perfect then. Well, it wasn't. Now we're starting to see why it wasn't, uh, maybe because we clung to some things that couldn't possibly uh, fill our hearts in the way that we long for. Absolutely. There was a magazine that did uh, a study on the happiest countries in the world, and it was fascinating. Some of the countries that they mm -hmm. chose and they just really found were the happier countries because they weren't richer countries. Um, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, my second home, Colombia, was on there. And as Colombia has done better economically over the years, even back then, this was like six years ago that it was picked as the happiest country. It was not in the greatest place economically, but they found that the happiest countries were not because they had a lot, but because they were more content with whatever they did have. Mm. And they were, wow. they were just, though that was what they found in their study going into these different cultures is that the people who are happy does it does not necessarily mean that they had the most or that they had everything they wanted but it was simply a group of people the people who were most content with the things that were there yeah yeah i think a lot of us will often say you know gosh if if this happened or when this happens then i'll be happy you know uh, when when I go to that one uh, wedding, when I go to that graduation and walk across that stage, when I uh, pay off all my debt, though, then I'll be happy. When I have that one relationship. 
That's right. And you name it. That's right. Yeah. And, 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 and those things happen not only for us sometimes, but they happen for other people. And we've got to be honest and say, oh, it doesn't really play out that way. Um, that robs us of the opportunity in the moment to take ownership, to say, you know what? If people can be content in concentration camps in Nazi Germany in the 1940s and be at peace with God and with others and be charitable and be loving, then what the heck is my excuse, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that invites us, right? That shouldn't shame us. I mean, we don't want to move to a place of I, I should be, I yeah. should be, I should be. But we want to be able to say, this is what I want my life to be. This is how I want to live in the world and serve God and others. And how can I figure out a path forward to do that? It's an opportunity, um, not something that we're shoulded into. Mm. I want to thank you so much for joining me for this. This has been very helpful, even for me. Absolutely. And well, it's helpful for me too. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to thank you all for um, listening today. And if you have any um, comments or follow-up questions for Dr. Sadowski, her contact information will be in the show notes as well. And we hope to continue having more conversations going forward. So thanks again. Yes, thank you. Alright everyone, thanks for listening. That's it for today. Be on the lookout next week for our next episode. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye guys. Bye.